official podcast of JetNation.com, the largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here's your host, Glenn Naughton. Good evening, Jets fans. I am Glenn Naughton. This is Jet Nation Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. I am joined by my co-host, Alex Varallo, and tonight we are going to... uh, we're going to cover a few things. We're going to talk draft again. We're going to cover the in, in within the AFC East, the decisions that the Bills, Pats, and Dolphins made. And, of course, we're going to talk about the impact that the Jets' choices will have on some of the veterans who are already on the roster, whose jobs could be in jeopardy, whose roster spots could be in jeopardy. But before we, uh, before we get to any of that, we're going, to, we're going to be joined by a special guest tonight. We've got Randy Johnson uh, to talk about Blake Cashman. And uh, you're not hearing me wrong. We're not talking about Randy Johnson and Brian Cashman. This is, uh, this is the Jets' fifth-round pick out of Minnesota, a linebacker who, I mean, the numbers, when you look at what he was able to do last year, he had over 100 tackles. He had some fantastic individual efforts. Um, I think a lot of people in general like the pick, but there are some concerns, and we're going to get to those. Um, Randy, are you with us? Yes, yeah, sure am. Hi, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Yeah, no problem. So right off the bat here, because we know your time is valuable, Alex, and I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, just a few questions uh, to touch on some general things. Uh, first and foremost, because since the pick has been made, the, the one of the things we're hearing most about those who don't like the pick, and even those who do, is the, uh, the concerns with the fact that we keep hearing about how Blake had three shoulder surgeries and uh, one on each, both shoulders were operated on at least once and for a total of three times. So what, uh, how did that impact his time in Minnesota? Well, it slowed him earlier in his career. He he recovered pretty well from that. And this year was an an incredibly productive player for the Gophers, especially second half of the season. Uh, He ended up uh, foregoing the bowl game, uh, the quick lane bowl to focus on getting ready for the combine and, and, and basically uh, help helping boost his, uh, his his draft stock. So uh, I, I don't. As for a concern, you know, anytime you've had surgery, I'm sure that's always a concern to a point. Um, it, it didn't seem to help, uh, hurt his productivity at all this year with the Gophers. Okay, great. Well, Randy, this is Alex, and thanks again for. Uh coming on on short notice and giving us your time. We at Jet Nation really appreciate you. So as far as Blake Blake Cashman is concerned, what can Jet Nation expect? What kind of player in person are we going to be getting in a Blake Cashman? Uh, First of all, the person, a really good person. Uh, Him and his family, they've done a lot of volunteer work in the Twin Cities. Uh, That's one aspect of him that that really stands out. As a player, you're getting a – a speedy linebacker, you know, maybe a tad bit undersized uh, for the middle if, if they put him there. But uh, he was it was uh, incredibly productive this season. A uh, really big game player made uh, the Purdue game. He made a nice uh, strip sack of uh, David Blau and uh, took it took it to the house for a touchdown for about 40 yards. Uh, Northwestern game, he had 20 tackles. You know, he, he really closed strong in his uh, in his final season. And now I'm I'm glad you mentioned those, Randy, because uh, my next question was going to be 
uh, for those fans, you know, of course, since he was picked, we, you know, we've, we've watched whatever we've been able to in terms of what we can find online. And I mean, thank God for YouTube, you can find a million different games. Um, but seeing that 20 tackle performance against Northwestern, I watched that. Um, that was a fantastic game. Um, is that the one game or are there any other games that you would say that stand out in your mind that if you want to know what Blake Cashman is about, watch him against this game in this spot? Uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, I think he had a really, uh, he came he kind of came on pretty strong his, uh, first year with the Gophers, uh, had a, a great performance in the, uh, holiday bowl against Washington state earned defensive MV, MVP honors in that game, despite, uh, uh, suffering a concussion late in that game, and th- that showed you the potential he had. You know, he battled through those those shoulder injuries for a couple of years, but then, uh, you know, this year he seemed to put it all together. And, and uh, basically, as a junior last year, he was kind of behind a behind it uh, on the depth chart to uh, Jonathan Fel- uh, Celestine, who uh, has uh, been with the Falcons uh, on the practice squad, I believe. Uh, th- this year he did. Just seemed like Blake had uh, was given uh, he had uh, a lot better chance to play more, and he took advantage of it very well. And now, one of the reasons we wanted to to have you on is is because sometimes when we read these online scouting reports, uh, the what you're reading on paper doesn't match up to what you see on film and um, or, you know, when you pull up the games and watch them. So I was curious for your opinion. Uh, you know, I saw, I saw one, uh, I think it was NFL.com said that he, he plays slow, which, which I didn't see at all. Um, but aside from the injury history, uh, which you said, you know, he dealt, he dealt with that well at Minnesota and, you know, with him having played primarily on the inside of a four, three in the middle of a four, three, are, are there any deficiencies or any issues you'll see in him adjusting to the NFL game? You did mention him being a little bit undersized. Yeah, you know, I, I think you know he offsets that with speed. But uh, the situation, I, I, I guess, I'd look at him as like, like any player. He's he's going to have to learn the speed of the game at the, at the NFL level. That's that'll be a change. Uh, he was this year. He was pretty impressive in, as in. The grading he received by Pro Football Focus, uh, they had him as, uh, rated as the top Big Ten linebacker. Um, so you know you can see the potential there. It, it, I think there's always development uh, situations any, any player will have, and you know he's a fifth round pick, so it wasn't it wasn't like he was a first a first rounder. Alex, you want to get the last one? Sure. Uh, so pertaining. Um, from what I've seen looking at his um, measurables at the combine, it looks like we have somebody with a uh, good speed, as you said. Now, how would you uh, be able to tell us about, you know, Blake's coverage skills as we haven't seen him in person yet. And, you know, I don't have access to the all 22 uh, on the film aspect, but what did you see from Blake's coverage abilities on the field? It just seemed like he was somebody who could close fast uh, on in coverage, uh, that and both both that and in a pass rushing ability. Uh, remember uh, early in the season against uh, Fresno State, he, he had a nice uh, pressure that ended up uh, ending, ending an interception that sealed the game for the Gophers. It, it just seems like you get him, when you get him in space, he, he can uh, he can be pretty effective. Yeah, I think I would have to agree with that. I actually tweeted out a, a video clip earlier. Um, I believe it was the Northwestern game where you, you saw his ability he drop back early in the play. He read the tight end running a drag route on third and four, and he came up and made the hit behind the first down, behind the first down marker, and forcing a punt. So he does seem like a guy who has that, you know, uh, 
the, the anticipation. It's either combination of instinct and, and a great deal of film study, whatever it may be. He does do a nice job of anticipating. So uh, we just want to thank you so much, Randy, for giving us your time. Uh, Randy covers uh, – he actually moved on from the Gophers. He's covering now hockey now for Puck Drop. And uh, we just want to thank him so much for uh, Star Tribune's Randy Johnson for dropping by. Okay, thank you. Thank well, you so much, Randy. It. Take care, Randy. Yep. Have, Have a good, good one. All right, Alex. So I don't know if uh, I don't know if it's just me. Um, maybe a little bit of uh, wearing the green goggles when the uh, we get a little bit overly optimistic with these draft picks. But the more I'm watching these guys today, you know, when I, I had time here and there, like I said, I watched that Northwestern game and uh, Cashman was he was all over the place, man. The guy was just the the anticipation. Uh, you know, he he's not even even one or two plays. I, I almost tweeted out where. It, not necessarily big splash plays, but just seeing him get off of a block and make a tackle, you know, even if it's at or around the line of scrimmage. I know, you know, some fans, it, it's it's kind of funny. I've seen in the past where I'll tweet out a play and people just rip it because it's not a phenomenal highlight reel play. And you're just trying to show, you know, here's a guy who can do this well or at all. Because, listen, the number of times we've seen Darren Lee get swallowed up by a blocker, it's it's nice to see a guy who's not a great deal bigger do a nice job of shedding blocks. And that's not to say Cashman didn't get eaten up from time to time, but I did see him on a few plays, you know, stack and shed, get off of his man, make a tackle. It's a couple yards downfield. So, uh, you know, not, people need to understand not every single play is going to be a, a game changer. Sometimes you just have to, uh, you know, as they say, just, just get your job done and, and move on to the next play. Um, so, but, but have you had a chance to watch any more of him? And what, what are your thoughts so far? You know, I really liked what I came away with. Uh, you know, maybe I hear this term a lot, off-ball linebacker might be something that you might want to describe him as, as he, he may be better in space where he can read and react, uh, utilize that 4-5 that speed that he showed at the combine. Um, you know, what he may lack in size and stature, you know, he, he, he definitely makes up for it in the athleticism department. And as far as, you know, getting in the backfield and, and blitzing, I, I do feel that he would be, a, he would need a clean pursuit in order, you know, very similar um, to how we described Darren Lee coming into this. He has coverage ability. He has good speed, uh, maybe a little bit undersized. So the more and more just talking about it right now seems like this could be somebody that might be filling in a, in the future cover linebacker role. And you, you need those players at this time because, you know, tight ends are becoming more and more of, you know, re- involved in the passing game and being a receiving threat. So you need guys like Blake Cashman to where, you, you know, you will not lose a step or get exposed on defense. Yeah, I think that his presence, you know, you have to consider the fact that it, it could seal Darren Lee's fate, but, you know, I, I don't want to beat that Darren Lee drum again because we've been talking about that for a while. Uh, you know, or we, you know, the, the last couple of shows, we've talked about that quite a bit. And I think that, uh, I think that really it's, it, it's just as hard as it is to believe. And this is why I keep going back and forth with it. You know, there's the one part of me that says the Jets have to move on from Darren Lee because he's a little bit, just a little bit quirky. He does, to me that, and you know, we talked about this, sending out that tweet on draft day that the police were at his door, even though I'm sure it was nothing major. You know, like I said, it could have been, you know, the cops could have been asking him if it was his cat stuck in a tree for all we know. 
Um, I'm not saying he was doing anything wrong, but it's a weird thing to tweet out on a day where, you know, there, there could be some moves abound. And it's almost like, are you, are you not aware of what's going on or are you aware and just having a little fun and trying to make it, make life a little tougher for the jets to, to move you. And as I've said, uh, you know, the, the drug suspension doesn't help him, but my hope is that, I mean, uh, listen, I, I want the, I want the guy to stay and I want him to be great. I'm, I'm a fan, you know, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm not going to root against a player um, that's, that's on this team, but you know, when you connect the dots, adding Cashman only adds fuel to that fire. When you say, okay, you, you had Avery Williamson, you signed TJ Mosley, and now you drafted a guy who does what Darren Lee does. So every single logical sign points to moving on from Darren Lee. But will they? I mean, we don't know that. And we're going to have to wait and find out. But we haven't heard any word on his 50-year option yet. And, and to further that point, Glenn, I was reading an article last night, and forgive me as I've been reading and, and absorbing a lot of information with a lot of the new players here, but one of the interesting things that was put out there is that this is somewhat familiar territory as when they brought in Marcus May and Jamal Adams when we had already had a Calvin Pryor in-house. Now, we were told right off the bat from you know good old Todd they like to run three um, safety sets with their defense. Right. And then a few weeks later, they moved him for, you know, was it to Mario Davis? Did we get any compensation with the pick or was it just a player for player trade? But in the, you know, this is kind of leading and I, I feel in the same direction to where, of course, they're going to say the right thing. He's a jet till further notice. We're moving forward and we'll see how things air quoting, how they unfold quoting our GM, Mike McCagnan. So let's keep an eye on, you know, how players that get signed now after the draft and as we move forward toward camp, you know, there's going to be some bodies that are going to be moving or maybe some teams are stacked in particular areas where we may not, we may want to look into and he may be one of those pieces that we trade with. It's very likely. Yeah. You know, I can still remember being a much younger, much more naive fan when the Jets signed Curtis Martin to his offer sheet and uh, and Bill Parcells was asked what that meant for Adrian Morrell, and he thought. And Bill Parcells just said, "Oh, nothing, nothing. We just we just have an impressive stable of running backs now." And a few days later, Adrian Morrell was gone. Um, but uh, anyway, moving on, we are going to cover. Uh, well, actually, before we move on, let's let's hit our sponsor real quick. This episode of Jet Nation Radio is sponsored by FanDuel Sportsbook. If you're in New Jersey, you can get a $500 risk-free bet when you sign up. This applies to all markets, whether you're betting on NBA, NHL, MLB, or anything else. FanDuel Sportsbook. Log in and sign up. Okay, so let's let's move on. Today we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, how the draft unfolded within the AFC East. You know what moves other teams made and how that's gonna impact the Jets. And I think the first thing that jumped out to me, and I know I'm sure I heard it mentioned on the broadcast, uh, came as no surprise. Because while it was probably done with Tom Brady in mind, um, there will be long-term implications for Sam Darnold, potentially, um, with the Buffalo Bills. We'll do, we'll do one team at a time, but just wanted to point out both all three teams that are not the New England Patriots, the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Bills, all went in the first round with a, with a basically freakish anterior, interior defensive lineman. 
Uh, the Jets, of course, go with Quinn and Williams. The Dolphins go Christian Wilkins. And then Ed Oliver goes to the Bills, a guy who a lot of people thought the Jets might have some interest in. Uh, listen, all three of those guys, you know, we, we don't know which guys, which of these guys are going to pan out and which ones aren't. But, you know, just from the, from the hype, from the film, from the stats, from the PFF grade, from what, whatever you want to consider, all three of those guys could be future pro bowlers or all pros. You know, they all have great tools. I listened to, uh, and for those of you who watched the draft, I thought Daniel Jeremiah did a fantastic job. I have a lot of respect for Daniel Jeremiah. I like him a lot. I know that people who listen to any show, any podcast, anyone, they just like to point out every time they make a mistake and not acknowledge when they do a good job. I think Jeremiah does a good job. And I heard him on his podcast, which I don't generally listen to a lot of podcasts, but around draft time, I ramp it up and I'll, I'll listen to Daniel Jeremiah quite a bit and some of the PFF stuff just to kind of, you know, see what other people are thinking. Um, and Daniel Jeremiah on his podcast uh, a week or two ago, um, he said that he wouldn't be the least bit surprised if Christian Wilkins turned out to be the best player in this draft, that he's that good and he has that many tools. So he goes number one to the Dolphins, and you got a guy like Daniel Jeremiah saying, look, he could be the best guy in the class, which would mean the Dolphins get a better player at 13 than the Jets got at three, which, listen, you know, it wouldn't shock anyone. My, my whole thing with Quentin, Quentin Williams is, just be great, you know? I mean, whether some guys are better, worse, whatever, just don't be a Golston, right? That's all, that's our biggest fear. And then Ed Oliver for Buffalo. Same type of thing. Some people felt like, you know, he was the guy. He was the guy who was drawing all the comparisons, if you remember this, Alex, to uh, no, just to Aaron Donald. Drew a blank for a second. Mm-hmm. All the Aaron Donald early in the preseason, early in the draft process – Everyone was telling us Ed Oliver was the guy. He was going to be the, the, the top non-quarterback to go in this draft. And that guy did some unbelievable things. You watch him play. The guy was playing nose tackle at 275. That is unheard of. I don't care. Who, people, oh, I don't care. He's playing against Troy. He's still playing a position that's meant for a 325-plus pound man. And he's doing it at 275. That's nuts. So the interior for all the defensive lines in the AFC East outside of New England um, bulked up on their interior lines. They wanted that, that short path to the quarterback because as we talked about, those edge guys are kind of getting negated by these, by these elite quarterbacks. So without further ado, let's, uh, let's take a quick look at the Miami Dolphins and how they went about their draft. As I mentioned, they go Christian Wilkins in round one. I'll, I'll summarize the picks and then you can, uh, Alex, you can chip in with your thoughts on their class overall. How's that sound? Perfect. Okay, great. Christian Wilkins out of Clemson, they take him in round one. Michael Deiter, they take in round three at 78. If you listen to the show, you know that he's a guy early in the process. He was my the interior lineman I really wanted for the Jets. Over time, that became Connor McGovern, which didn't uh, transpire, obviously. Andrew Van Ginkle out of Wisconsin in the fifth round. Then in round six, Isaiah Prince out of Ohio State. Fullback Chandler Cox out of Auburn in round seven. And then Washington running back Miles Gaskin also in round seven with the very next pick. What are your thoughts on Miami's draft? And what are the, uh, how would you grade it? Uh, I think they had an overall really good draft. Uh, you know, I love the the points that each of the AFC teams made with, with the first round selections, as you had said, because, uh, New England's showing that they've got a better running game. We just brought in Le'Veon Bell. Buffalo has brought in, I believe, Frank Gore to add with LaShawn McCoy, and they went out. And uh, we'll talk about 
Um, him, I'm sure, Devin Terry. So they're clearly looking to shore things up on, against the running game and, and make some inside pressure. Um, I, you and I both agree with um, as far as Michael Deiter. You know, he can you can move him around. He's got flexibility with what he can mm-hmm. do as a guard, um, yep. and maybe kicking him outside. Uh, I thought Isaiah Prince was a guy that was on our radar, to be honest with you, as maybe another late round guy. But you know, we clearly uh, did that in the fourth, um, and. I was very, very interested to see when they were going to go after a running back in this draft. And I think they really did good with getting a fullback and, you know, a versatile uh, Miles Gaskin. Now, he, he's not a big body physical guy, but, you know, he's just like, if I had to describe him in some sort of manner with like the way that he runs on the field, he's all heart, um, you know, kind of similar to how Bilal Powell was. He wasn't a great physique or, you know, crazy athlete, but he gave you everything that he had and he does a lot of good things, but nothing terribly great. So, you know, they, they did overall pretty well. Um, they seem to focus on their, their offense and their running game a bit. Um, you know, I'm not really great with the grading because I'm not, you know, an expert or anything like that. But if I had to do a letter grade, you know, I could probably go with a B and, and I think they're probably very happy with what they, they brought in. Yeah, just I mean Wilkins alone, he, he's going to be an interesting guy. He's he's the type of guy that makes you realize, you, you know, the Jets do have to. Not that we didn't know already, but they need to beef up that interior line, mainly at center. Um, we'll talk about that later on. But um, yeah, Wilkins Wilkins is the guy. I remember I remember reading that he played uh, at, at around 300 pounds. Clemson a couple of years ago played him off the edge quite a bit. So you know if he's athletic enough to line up as an edge rusher at 300 pounds, that that guy, like I said, they you know uh, Jeremiah said. Uh, he would not be surprised if that is the top player in this draft uh, five, six years from now. So that brings us to the Buffalo Bills, who, as I said earlier, went with Ed Oliver in the first round. Um, after that, it was guard tackle Cody Ford out of Oklahoma, a player that I really liked. Devin Singletary in round three. Dawson Knox, that, that one hurt. You and I talked about him quite a bit. Didn't want to see mm. him in the division, um, although I think Jamal Adams would be able to handle him. Uh, Vashawn Joseph out of Florida, uh, Jaquan Johnson out of Miami, Daryl Johnson, edge rusher out of North Carolina, North Carolina A&T. Haven't seen a lot of him. I'm not going to lie to you. And Tommy Sweeney, who I actually saw mocked to the Jets in a couple of mocks leading up to the draft, a Boston College tight end. He was taken in round seven. So your thoughts on their uh, on their draft, Alex? Yep. And um, just to make a plug, we, we didn't forget, uh, we will talk about Josh Rosen as that was their second selection with the trade that Miami made. Yes. And uh, We can each go back and forth on, on that one real quick. But just to uh, finish up with the Bills here, this is, you know, a really good draft. I think that they focused very, very balanced uh, with the way that they went about it. They, they kind of went offense, defense, offense, defense to start and then finished out with uh, three defensive picks. And we know how Buffalo, you know, really, really uh, favors the the defensive side of of this game. So, you know, I feel that each team uh, really, really moved in in, in the right direction. And my God, are we going to see some phenomenal competition out of the AFC East? You know, some people may think that that's a bad thing. I I think, you know, the old saying, you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. And the AFC East has always been tough, mainly because of one team and the Patriots. But now to see that everyone else is starting to play catch up and as Brady gets older and our AFC's conference transitions, 
we're looking probably at a, a great decade of football ahead of us here. Uh, I was definitely raising my eyebrows when I saw Ed Oliver go overall. And uh, you best believe I said, now go get, you know, a hog molly center so that we don't have to see Ed Oliver in the backfield sack in number 14 all day. So hopefully we, we get to that and we get that position figured out. But I, I really do like Ed Oliver. I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, Cody Ford, um, you know, a lot of people thought that he, he might be somewhere in that end of first round, but he went pretty early in the second. So I think that was, you know, justified with him. And I really liked what I saw out of Devin Singletary. You know, a lot of people were comping his running style and the way that he evades and shifts defenders, very similar to LaShawn McCoy. So what's yeah, better? Yeah, I remember a lot of that pre-draft. Set that up, having him as his understudy and kind of learning right from the guy that everyone talks about that they project him to be. So, and and we've talked about Dawson Knox. I think at, at length here, uh, they definitely filled their need. I believe Charles Clay is no longer on their team. Um, I'm not concerned about Dawson Knox in the run game. Um, I, I don't think he's a a polished blocker, but he's definitely a receiving threat that the Jets will have to key up on and uh, good luck to him because I hope number 33 uh, shows him, <laughs> you know, how a classy NFL uh, defense can be. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a, that could be a battle to watch for years. And, and that's the thing is, you know, as you mentioned, Rosen, which we will talk about in a minute. I mean, AFC East now has three of the best young interior linemen in the, you know, to come out in this draft and uh, and now three of the the top quarterbacks to come out in the deepest quarterback class we've seen in decades last year. Now with uh, with Darnold and Rosen coming over and Josh Allen, so really some some battles to be had in the coming years. And uh, lastly, we will touch on the New England Patriots. And we all know, we all know, if you are in the media, you cannot give the Patriots less than an A on their draft. It doesn't matter who they take. It doesn't matter what round they take them in. If they drafted me and Alex, they would get an A. It's just, you know, it just goes to show when you have Tom Brady, you can just cover up for so many deficiencies and you just keep winning and winning and winning. And uh, and, and Bill Belichick, too. I'm not going to take anything away from him. When you have those two guys, um, everything else looks like it looks like roses because, uh, you know, hate them all you want, but they're just they're the best. And uh, so their draft went as follows. Nikhil Harry, who we talked about a bit on this show, Arizona State. I mentioned him a few weeks ago as a guy that I really liked. Uh, they actually, that, that kind of, I hate that. They drafted three or oh. four guys that I really talked up in this draft. Uh, Nikhil Harry in the first. Jawan Williams out of Vandy in round two. And then Chase Winovich, who we discussed at length. Uh, they ended up getting him at pick 77. Exactly. Damian Harris out of Alabama. I think he can be a damn good player. I think he'll be good value in round three. Uh, Yadni Kajus out of West Virginia, offensive tackle who has battled injuries throughout his career, but definitely has starter potential. And then you got uh, Halte Froholt, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. I actually heard someone a few weeks ago give the correct pronunciation pronunciation of his name, and uh, and I thought, okay, that's something I'll never remember. So, but uh, <laughs> an a interior lineman out of Arkansas, Jarrett Stidham, quarterback out of Auburn, Byron Cowart. Defensive lineman out of Maryland, punter Jake Bailey, and Ken Webster, cornerback out of Ole Miss. Um, like I said, a few guys for me personally: Nikhil Harry, Chase Winovich, Damian Harris, Yadni Kajust. Those are guys who I really 
Because Juice, I actually think I had going to the Jets in the, the first, first. I mean, I did two mocks for Jet Nation. The first one, I had Kajus going to the Jets. And uh, people told me I was a moron because there was no way he was going to last till round three. Uh, Jets passed on him. New England took him. So what are your thoughts on this New England draft class? Uh, the first thing I want to say, why do teams trade with the Patriots? Have we oh, not God. learned our, the lesson that when how do you, we how do you not have these guys, they always win? I mean, come if on. If you're an NFL front office, you should have every telephone number in New England blocked. And I don't just oh. – I mean like every state that makes up New England. I don't mean just Foxborough. I don't care – just – any phone call out of any area code that is in, that encompasses New England, block it. Well, I don't. I don't get it, Alex. I really don't. It's unbelievable. I mean, just to let you everyone know, if you weren't aware already, they they made seven trades throughout this draft. They moved up. They moved back. They acquired more pieces. They went after and they found a way to have multiple third round selections. And and for me, they were all home runs. Um, yeah, those, I mean, those spent. those were their comps. Yeah, and we all, you know, how we feel about Chase Winovich, and and then to shore up your running game to make a, a two-headed monster with Sony Michelle and now Damian Harris. Now, thank God we got Quentin Williams and Leonard Williams and, and these big guys that we have up front because we're going to need them when we're going up against them because not only do we have to game plan for, for all that is Tom Brady, but now they've got some young, you know, fresh legs in that backfield that can do some damage too. So again, I, I just don't know why people trade with them. It, it was just remarkable with what they did. You tip their cap. I'm, I'm a little jealous on how they orchestrate their front office because the Jets tried, let's be honest. They made, I believe what, two trades. Um, they, they tried to get into the second. They couldn't make it work. And we moved up. We got an extra pick, and then we just kind of slided around a little bit. We didn't end up with more than six picks when it was all said and done, and that's kind of what we started out with. So you, you could just tell that this is a team that doesn't get desperate and reach for players. They, they analyze their board. They do their homework, and, and they're comfortable moving up and down the board and stockpiling and throwing as much as they can on the wall to see which player is going to stick and, you know, help them go back to uh, for another Lombardi trophy. It is so annoying and frustrating, but you have to respect the things that they do. Yeah, and, you know, they, they had a really good class. I thought it was funny, though, because it's, it's more of the hypocrisy. Um, even though Mike McCagnan did – Mike McCagnan does draft, uh, you know, too many guys who are a little bit long in the tooth. But uh, before he drafted a bunch of guys who were in their early 20s, um, fans were ripping them for, for not taking Chase Winovich – uh, why, you know, why did you take the high risk guy in, in Jakai Polite? Winovich is on the board. He's, you know, hard worker, no red flags. But I'm thinking, again, it, it's another one of the, the, uh, the hypocritical, hypocritical issues where everyone complains that uh, Mac drafts old guys, which again, he did, which does piss me off a little bit. But uh, when he took the 20 year old instead of the 24 year old, which is Winovich, he was an idiot for doing that. So he's an idiot for drafting old guys, and then he's an idiot for passing on old guys. So um, it's uh, like as I've said many times, it's no win situation. But uh, but yeah, listen, the, everyone in the in the division, you know, again, especially the Pats, I, I think they had more picks on their board that I liked than any other team. But everyone got stronger up front because by adding those 
you know, these, these dominant, potentially dominant interior D linemen who can be disruptive. And it's going to be an issue for the Jets. It's going to be an issue for everybody. But you just hope that uh, Quinn and Williams makes it a bigger issue for the teams that the Jets play. And, uh, you know, a, a guy who came out of the draft, the draft process, you know, they called him the cleanest prospect, the best prospect. And I think, again, I think, you know, one of the things with him that's so unbelievable is his age. And you see the things that he does and how young he is. Um, you know, the future is indeed a bright one for Quinn and Williams. So moving on from the, the AFC draft recap, uh, let, let's go over the uh, the Josh Rosen thing real quick. He obviously the, the Cardinals took uh, Kyler Murray number one that left Rosen as the odd man out. There was talk that Arizona was going to uh, was going to hold on to him. And honestly, you know, Alex, I think that's how I would have played it if I was the Cardinals. I would have played it the way I said the Jets should have considered playing the Teddy Bridgewater thing last year. I keep Josh Rosen until somebody's quarterback gets hurt. And then I'm asking for a first. Because on draft day, when people tend to value their picks a little more than usual, because they're in the process of using them, I thought that was a bad time for them to try. But at the same time, I think Arizona just didn't want both those quarterbacks in the building at the same time. I think they've, um, obviously they did. Because they wanted a one, they held out, held out, held out, held out, and eventually dealt him away. He goes to the Dolphins. So now it's Darnold, Rosen, and Allen, all in the AFC East, who will be battling for AFC East supremacy when Tom Brady retires in 11 years. Your thoughts, Alex? Yeah, you know, it was it was interesting because, you know, their selection came up, and they originally, the Dolphins had had the 48th pick overall. And then they traded out. And I was thinking, whoa, this is getting really interesting here. And I, I'm almost wondering if the Dolphins panicked a little bit when they saw that because, you know, who knows what the compensation was that uh, Arizona was looking for. But to get back a 62nd overall and a future uh, 2020 pick, I believe, which was in the fifth round, uh, Arizona did, did pretty darn well. Um, you know, getting a premium pick back, and and they were even able to get more picks with that 48th pick that they they slid back from. Uh, as we mentioned before, the AFC East is is looking pretty um, interesting with with all the big names from the quarterback class of 2018. Um, I, I was looking really looking forward to whooping on uh, Ryan uh, Fitzpatrick as, as he was one of their free agent signings yeah. uh, as, yeah. as well as Cl- uh, Clive Walford, another familiar name. So I was, I was really looking forward to, to seeing that guy, especially with all the media coming out about how, you know, he, he has a lot of children, apparently. I don't know how many, eight or nine, something like that, but uh, he ate a lot of birthday cake. Apparently he said that, and I was looking forward to, uh, you know, putting old Fluffy on his back. But it looks like we're going to have a uh, Josh Rosen who clearly has a chip on his shoulder. And now uh, the whole world has given him a lot of fuel uh, for his fire. So I expect nothing but this guy to come out and, and try to be, you know, the best player that he can for this team and prove to everybody that he's worth his value. And uh, Which I, think, I think that – Do you think that's weird, Alex? That you mentioned that I, I wanted to say it before you get on to the next point, the, the the amount of heat Josh Rosen has taken. I I feel like for as as much as he's been talked about in the media for the past couple of months, with the with the Arizona Cardinals sending. I don't I don't know if you saw that tweet the Cardinals official account sent out a few weeks ago or a couple of months ago that it, it said you know 
everybody in the rumors except Josh is our guy. And this picture of Josh Rosen, like using social media to, to, to prop him up and say that the rumors aren't true and he's, he's really your guy. And he didn't say a word through the whole damn thing. All he did was unfollow them on Instagram. And everybody, you would have thought that he showed up at the facility and tried to burn it down the way they were talking about this guy. <laughs> oh, he's such a baby. Can't handle criticism. Can't handle criticism. He's got to be getting criticized for months. And all he did was say, you know what? I'm not a member of this team anymore, so I'm going to go ahead and unfollow him on Instagram. And you got Steve Smith on, on NFL Network calling him out like he was you know, some, some kind of petulant child. I, I don't get it. I, I mean, there, that was a lot of anger for a guy who, to me, handled himself like a pro. I mean, that being said, I hope he spends the next 10 years getting his brains beat in by the Jets. But I, I don't understand the, the, the outrage and the people making fun of him. Like, oh, look what a baby he's being. And I'm like, I don't, I don't see him being a baby. I see him keeping his mouth shut and realizing, you know, uh, what's going on and, and unfollowing someone on Instagram. I mean, maybe an unfollow on Instagram is a big deal to some people. But uh, for me personally, I, I didn't know what the hell – I don't know why everybody's making such a big deal out of it. Yeah, you know, that's the world that we live in today. Um, everything speaks through, you know, social media platforms. And, you know, we remember when Darren Lee modified a couple background picture or whatever, and he didn't have anything Jet-related on there. And everybody, oh, this is it. He's gone. And then he tweeted out, you know, hey, guys, go outside. Do something. <laughs> get off the computers. Get off your phones. Go do something productive. And, uh, you know, it, it the whole thing, I – I kind of felt a little bit bad for him throughout this process. I, I was one of the people that were saying when everyone's saying one thing, it, it can't be possible. But you know, clearly, uh, Cliff Kingsbury, who made that comment that he would take Murray one overall and he fits whatever offensive scheme he has, clearly, um, everybody was right who who had predicted that. And um, you know, I for one, I'm not I'm not a big Rosen fan. Uh, going into 2018, I I would have been okay had things unfolded differently, but I did kind of feel that there was a higher ceiling with Darnold. I thought Mayfield was a short thing, but if I I had to choose between Josh Allen and Josh Rosen, I probably would have went with Rosen only because of what he showed with his mechanics and, you know, he he throws a good ball and everything like that. But, you know, as we have come to see from this year, and maybe it's the scheme or the offensive line, the guy does have a little bit of a deer in headlights and, and he's a statue in the pocket. So maybe perhaps, you know, like you said, well, this guy will be eating a lot of dirt when he comes to play with us. And um, uh, I'm very intrigued to see, you know, how he responds to this because, you know, like Steve Smith said, and he was very, very uh, critical of him. And uh, you, we all know Steve Smith is uh, an animated, energetic, emotional yeah, guy. Yeah, he's an outspoken guy. Uh, but – you know, there's some things that I, I did kind of see that he was talking about. Nothing is earned in this league. You know, even for first-round um, quarterbacks or second-round quarterbacks or whatever position you are, you still have to go out there and prove that you were worthy of your selection and that your team made the right choice, and you can rise above all odds. So I understand from that that aspect. Um, it was, again, it was a little critical, uh, but – uh, at this point, you know, he's an enemy of the state, and I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing how Greg Williams prepares to devastate this guy when we when we face him. Yeah, just another great storyline uh, in the AFC East, and, and again, for years to come, these could be some great battles. And uh, But speaking of battles, 
Let's talk about some of the battles that will be going on on the Jets roster. Now, we know, we know the names. We know the draft picks. And let's talk about the players that the draft picks will impact most on the roster, whether it's uh, guys who could be cut, guys who could be demoted, guys who could see increased roles, decreased roles, whatever it may be, through, you know, because of the picks that the Jets made. Now, of course, Quinn and Williams uh, goes number three. He's an instant day one starter. You're going to put him on the line with Leo and, and Anderson and, you know, the, the guy I talk about all the time, uh, Steve McClendon, uh, who knows what it means for Fulleranza Fadakasi. Uh, you know, you have, you have to have bodies on the D-line. Listen, when you're, when you're dealing with 300-pound human beings who are sprinting and smashing into things for a living, they're going to need to take a breather. So I, I, that was one very odd response I saw to the draft with somebody was melting down and one, it was a Jets group or I forget it. I think it was on the forums and jetnation.com. Um, and, you know, what are we going to do now? Now, you know, all these D linemen, we, we already have this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. And it's like, well, you already lost Mike. Mike, Mike Pennell is gone. So you don't have any more D linemen than you had when the season ended. Uh, but what what does this mean? I guess the big guy, the big question is, is Steve McClendon? Um, does he see? Is is he a guy the Jets? I mean, I don't. I saw a thing the other day saying could they trade him? Just trade value mm. nowadays. I mean, and this is coming from someone who thinks he's a damn good player. You know, I think Steve McClendon is fantastic. But at his age and his position, I don't know that you would get anything for him. But th- does this hurt his chances to stick, or is he a guy who you think just sees a a significant reduction in playing time uh, once the season kicks off. Yeah. You know, uh, I was uh, actually, when we talked the other day about maybe doing something with the 53, I started working on mine already and I've come up with my 53 and we'll save that for another show, but I do have him making this team. Um, One of the things that I believe that is so valuable about McClendon is that, you know, we are, well, we're not as young as we were when we were approaching the 2017 2018 season, but you do need veteranship and you do need leaders. And this is one thing that, that Steve McClendon does. He keeps that locker room accountable. He makes sure that, you know, guys are not taking plays off, that they're going to be showing up on time for meetings. And, you know, he's going to be keeping, uh, you know, the antics, I believe, to, you know, a professional level because that's what he wants. He wants a Super Bowl trophy. And I remember a couple of years ago, he asked the front office if they could move the Lombardi trophy into the hallway where the players entered in so that everybody could take a look at what the goal is when they walk in the door and, and, and have that mindset when you come into the facility. And I think that, that, that even if he is not as good as a player of you know, some, some of the other talent, because clearly we know we want Quentin Williams playing the nose and we want him playing as an interior defensive lineman, but in certain aspects, you know, when we're going to be going with a 4-4 or a 4-3, he's got to be on that line uh, right where he belongs, you know, playing over, you know, um, I'm not as familiar with the, the techs, the one-tech, two-tech, three-tech, wherever he may line up. He is a great asset against the run, taking on those double teams, creating pressure in the pocket, and, and he's just a sound overall guy. I would have him in on our 53. I think he's too valuable. The contract was very team friendly that he came back on this year. And, you know, if the Jets were to make a run at this thing, I would hate to see not have to have Mike, um, Steve McClendon 
you know, on the roster going through, you know, this season. Yeah, I think his leadership in that locker room uh, gives him some added value, but you wonder if that value is diminished a little bit because of the fact that Jamal Adams is another year along. You brought in C.J. Mosley. You now have a couple mm-hmm. more guys in that huddle who have a couple who have a little bit more clout. Uh, Steve McClendon is a great guy to have on your roster, not just because he's a damn good football player, but when you have a young roster that's you know kind of trying to find its way and, and trying to find some direction. Uh, but if the Jets feel like they've they've established that a little bit now, or or that you know Jamal Adams, C.J. Mosley, guys like that have it covered, does does McClendon become a little bit more expendable? I would hope not. Doesn't have a huge cap number. Really good player. I, I felt like he his play dipped a little bit last year, and it you know probably dip again this year given his age. But perhaps this year you know maybe he sees fewer reps. You keep his legs a little bit fresher. And then you see him kind of tick up a little bit, you know, toward the guy he was two years ago. And I'm not saying he was bad last year um, by any stretch of the imagination. I think that uh, I think he's done a really nice job and I, I hope they keep him around. And I hope he uh, you know, I, I think he's a good mentor for a guy like Quinton Williams, like Foley Fadakasi. And, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with him. He's another guy who could be impacted by this. Of course, you know, the, he was never going to he was never a lock to make the roster as a late round pick. I did think that perhaps the Jets drafted him with an eye on letting McClendon go so that uh, Fadakasi could step into that role. But uh, they brought McClendon back. Fadakasi's still in the building. And you know, he's a small school guy, but strong as an ox. Um, did some good things in training camp. And I think, you know, GMs, all GMs, not just Mike McGagney, general managers like to, you know, hang on to guys as long as they can to see if they can uh, – if they can improve and, and earn, earn some playing time and have an impact. So I don't know that uh, any of this spells the end for him. I wouldn't be surprised if the guys that we've already mentioned are the guys that they carry once the season starts, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll find out in time. But as far as Fadakasi goes, you know, I see people, I see people writing him off, you know, he played like two snaps last year and people writing him off. And like I said, my, my theory on that, Alex, it, you know, when we see these people and, and how quickly they write these players off, I look, people like to be right. Everybody likes to be right. You know, that's we know that no matter what, whether it's football or anything in life, people like being able to say I was right about that. And if you just insist that every draft pick is going to suck, especially sixth and seventh rounders, normally they are and normally they will get cut. And then some people get to say, oh, I told you, I told you Fadakasi wasn't, I told you this guy wasn't going to work out. I told you that guy wasn't going to, yeah, yeah, you, there was an 80% chance you were going to be right. But it, you know, it, it's like saying, you know, when people, I, I've talked about how people revert to the Super Bowl argument. When someone's losing an argument about whether or not a player is good, you know, I've had this a million times with Robbie Anderson. People tell me Robbie sucks, he's one dimensional, blah, blah, blah. And you go back and forth. And then when you, when you show the stats, when you show the clips, when you show the, the gifs of the great, the great catches, the contested catches, you look at the deep ball touchdowns, you look at what he did late in the year, then, it's, then they just go to, oh, well, we haven't won any Super Bowls, so who cares? Like, so because you can't be right on an argument, you kind of, the people move the goalposts. So people like being right, and when they're wrong, they don't like to admit it. But um, listen, I've been wrong a million times. I thought our Darius Stewart was going to be a good player. Chad Hansen, I wasn't as sold on, but I really thought our Darius Stewart, I thought, man, physical dude, you pair him with Quincy Noon, where they're going to smash some people in the mouth. And uh, turned out I was wrong, you know, but it's, uh, these things happen. But anyway, enough about that. Moving on to the, the next position group, uh, or the, sorry, the next pick. 
Ja'Kai Polite, edge rusher. I think day one starter. To me, get out starting role. That dude is a day one starter in my mind. I mean, you don't, you know, we talked the other day about how it was reported that the Jets thought he was the number two pass rusher in the whole draft behind Bosa. Um, I don't disagree with that. And if you think that about a guy and you need a pass rush, you're not working that guy into the lineup. Unless there's a health reason or unless there are other concerns, that dude is starting day one. So your overall thoughts on the the edge rushers on the team or the the edge defenders on the team and who this impacts most and and the good and the bad, who who can see an uptick in production and and who can probably find themselves on the bench a bit more? Uh, You know, right off the the page right here, I'm very interested to see where Brandon Copeland, um, how he pans out now. And where frankly Frankie Luvo is going to be, and uh, and if I had to choose between the two, maybe Luvo was the one that would probably be moved, practice squad, something like that. Uh, we know that he came on a little bit last year and showed some things, but when you invest in a player like Polite, who you want to be your speed rusher to fill that, you know that void that everyone has talked about since John Abraham, and there's you know there's probably no other rookie at this point in time that has as much pressure to, to prove himself than, than Jakai. And uh, I think he's going to get every opportunity to do so uh, because we, we know where, what we have in Jordan Jenkins, uh, you know, uh, he's a dog and a bulldog as we know, and he, he's not going anywhere. He's one of my favorite linebackers that we have in here. I think um, there's no way he's going to be, be meddled with. And, you know, it will be interesting to see, uh, you know, I've, come up with a nickname for Brandon Copeland, uh, the professor. I'm sure some of you may know, and if you don't, you know, he's got a lot of cool things going on in the offseason, uh, teaching financial courses at, uh, was it Penn State, I believe, or maybe University of Pennsylvania? Yeah, uh, I, I heard, I so read the ahead, story, but I can't, I can't remember what school it was. was it? I, I was thinking UPenn, but I'm not sure. I, I think UPenn might be the one. Um, I'll leave that to Jet Nation to fact check me on that. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's a cool story, and, you know, he was a very sound player for us a guy that was just supposed to be a, a special team ace and, and kind of be a depth piece. And, you know, when things didn't work out with Josh Morton, because I believe, his, you know, his injuries and he had some concussion problems, you know, this guy stepped in and he showed some things. Uh, I think he had somewhere around five sacks last year. Uh, so he, he would be a good depth piece. He'd be a good rotational piece. And, it, and if, you know, it's a tough sport and, you know, guys are going to get, you know, some injuries here and there and, and maybe sit a couple games, and, and you won't lose as much. It won't be as drastic as a fall-off, when, and you know what to expect from a guy in Brandon Copeland. So, you know, I think Jenkins, Copeland, Polite, definitely those three guys are, are a sure thing, and it would be, you know, interesting to see what they do with uh, – because I believe there's another player. I've got a couple guys listed on the bubble here that I'm really, really having a hard time with, like Neville Hewitt. I know he's more of an interior guy. And uh, Terrell Basham, um, somebody that was talked about a couple of years ago and didn't really work out in Indianapolis, and we brought him in. And I saw him rotating a lot. You know, he didn't fill up the stat sheet. But there were certain packages that were used last year um, where he was coming on the field and, you know, in run situations and, you know, situational pass rusher. So there's it's going to make for – the best uh, scenario for our defense and it'll be tough because we might see some, you know, I know there's a lot of fans that like Luvu and, and probably would like to see him stick, but with a Jakai polite pick, he might be, you know, one of those guys that 
we have to like let go or possibly hope that he we can hold him on the practice squad. Yeah, I think I think two of those guys or those are the two guys who will. Uh, I I I think it's interesting between Copeland and Luvu. Copeland, it's not like Copeland's been around forever. He's only got a few years in the league. He's a little bit older than Luvu, but I think he did show enough last year that uh, and I mean it was by far that's the most extensive playing time he's had as a pro. So maybe maybe you've seen some of that development where he becomes a guy who can be a, a more effective, even if it's a situational pass rusher. Um, you know, Jordan Jenkins had the seven sacks, but I, I would I would venture to guess. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I would venture to guess that Copeland had more sacks per pass rush than than Jordan Jenkins did. Um, but again, I, I, I'd have to look that up. I could be wrong about that. But I yeah, I think Jakai Polite, and th- this is why this is why it's uh. It's so exciting to me anyway, because when you look at the, what Polite brings and when you look at what Quinn and Williams brings and you look at what, you know, Anderson did last year and what Leo, you know, Leo, we've talked about it before. The sack numbers aren't there, but the QB pressures are, you know, through the roof. You know, I saw a number. Um, I don't know if you saw this. It was a few weeks ago and I can't remember who tweeted it. Um, basically sent out a tweet because it's so long ago. They sent out a tweet showing that uh, of NFL players with, I think it was 40 or more pressures or some, any one of the top five in quarterback pressures in the past, since Leonard Williams was drafted, he is in the top five, but he's the only guy with like fewer than 15 sacks or something like that, whatever his sack total is. He basically, his, his, the frequency which with, he gets, with which he gets pressure on the quarterback is among the best in the league. But it's not translating to sacks as frequently as it is with the other guys who were in that same stratosphere as him. So is he a step too slow? Is the coverage not quite as good? And will it help by having, you know, Quinn and Williams, Ja'Kai Polite? I just, I mean, you've added two potentially phenomenal players to your front seven. And that those guys, and well, actually three, if you want to count the Mosley signing, four-time pro bowler and two first-round talents, even if Polite went in the third round. So the, the, the possibility of transforming this defense, uh, you know, with a, with a defense coordinator who, uh, you know, has a penchant for being overly aggressive, I think this can be a lot of fun this year. And that's part of the reason I'm optimistic about the Jets' record, Alex. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk, you know, another week or two about the schedule and, and how it plays out. But if you look at that schedule and what the Jets have done, and I, I think you hit the nail on the head, you know, those are the names that, that teams are going to be looking at or that the Jets are going to be looking at. Copeland and Luvu, who do you keep? Who do you cut? Um, or do they find a way to keep all of them? Because you can never have enough of those pass rushers, right? So, um, Absolutely. Yeah, so that brings us to uh, Chuma Adoga. I don't even – it's really not a whole lot to talk about there because let's face it, we, we don't know where the Jets plan on playing him. I think eventually the plan will be left tackle. Um, I don't think there are any starters that are going to be let go because of his presence. You might have some fringe backup guys who won't make the roster now, but I, I would like to see a Doga. Like I said, I, I want a no BS competition at right guard this year. And if they want to throw Chuma Doga in there to compete, that's fine. I don't know that he's ready. I don't know that he's strong enough yet. He's a guy who probably needs a year in a weight room, but uh, between Compton winters, Braden, and you know, if you want to throw a Doga in there, let, let, let's let the best man win at right guard. And uh, and go from there. But Blake Cashman, who we've talked about quite a bit already, obviously, um, give us your thoughts on on the impact 
because you know, I mean, we've talked about it briefly. That he, I mean, I think he's the guy that makes Darren Lee expendable, and I, I hope that at the very least, the plan is to to move Lee to the outside, and that's why that's why Cashman becomes a necessity. Um, do you what do you what are your thoughts on that, Alex? Yeah, you know, from everything that we talked about before, uh, a lot of similarities between uh, Darren Lee and Blake Cashman, and and a lot of signs are, are pointing toward, uh, you know, sticking with the rookie and the the rookie contract and in Cashman and and seeing what you can get with Darren Lee. The Jets have up until I, I believe it's May third this Friday to decide whether or not if they're going to be picking up his fifth year option. So Friday will definitely be the day. I guess we'll, we will see a little bit more light shed on this situation with Darren Lee. Uh, I think it's it's very difficult because if if you look at the entire group as a whole, there isn't a better coverage linebacker than Darren Lee in this group in my mind. And, you know, you can go ahead and look at his rookie year and say, oh, well, he got blown this player. Well, let's take a look at year two and year three because we did see progress. And last year he had a couple interceptions, the pick six, you know, tackles in the backfield. He was really, really starting to, you know, hit his stride and, and, and show some of that first-round talent that we've been waiting to see. You know, some guys are just late bloomers, um, you know, and, and, and moving from safety in college to an outside linebacker, 4-3 scheme, into Todd Bowles attacking 3-4 defense, being a middle linebacker, not an outside linebacker, but going inside with coverage duties, you know, it was an adjustment for him, clearly. And, you know, we got to see that he was starting to mold. And, you know, if it, if it is true that the Jets are going to be going with a 3-4 base, it, it, it's really hard to, you know, now you're looking at guys like Neville Hewitt, Blake Cashman, you're looking at Darren Lee, C.J. Mosley, and Avery Williamson. We only need two to start with, and, you know, you need to figure out, you know, who's going to be your part of the special teams and who's going to be a situational rotation guy for nickel packages, for dime packages, you know, a lot, a lot of tough decisions that need to be made. And, you know, the Jets are stockpiled in, in, in a lot of defensive positions. So if I had to, you know, make my educated guess on it, you know, I, I definitely would see them maybe – trying to to trade him but and from a football aspect how do you replace somebody with that skill set can you trust um in a, another undersized linebacker who's who's raw and you know is not has not adjusted to nfl speed yet and and trust him on third downs to cover you know just on the interior from from what we're looking at you know tight ends like uh Dwayne allen um, who was acquired by Miami, and they have Mike Gusecki, um from Penn State. You know, you're looking at Dawson Knox uh, that that's just been brought in uh, to Buffalo. And then our good old buddy ASJ <laughs> went to the Patriots. So, yeah, you know, we're, yeah. we're gonna, we have some, some bodies out there that we're going to have to make sure we have sound coverage guys to make sure that these guys don't expose us on defense. So, yeah. I would hate to be Mike McCagden when it comes to these 53 cuts. And, you know, Greg Williams is probably is going to bring a lot of insight in on that, on, on who he thinks is going to elevate this defense. And I can't figure it out at this point in time, to be quite honest with you. 
I'm a Lee fan, but there's definitely enough to say that it's a crowded room and he might be the one that goes. Yeah, and, you know, I look at the moves they've made, and I can't help but wonder if this this 3-4 thing is – and, I, you know, I've talked about this before. You know, your base defense doesn't matter nearly as much as it used to given the amount of time the teams spend in their nickel and dime packages or sub packages. There are teams that literally spend 35% of their time in their base defense and the rest of the time it's sub packages. But um, it just I – look, I look at the acquisitions they've made and you just feel like if you went into next year and you cut ties with Avery Williamson, which would save you $6.5 million, do you go to a 4-3? Because mm-hmm. – that you have the personnel for it. I mean, I guess if McClendon is gone next year and if, if Fadakasi doesn't work out, maybe you don't. But, you know, having having the two Williams guys on the interior, maybe you let Jordan Jenkins play one end, and then you got Henry Anderson and, and Polite to, you know, what, what's he coming in at in the 270s? Might be able to be a guy off the edge. I don't know. I, just, I feel like the some of the personnel moves scream 4-3. But, of course, this year, that, that can't be the case because of the fact that you've got two inside linebackers making a ton of money. Um, and that's, you know, two inside linebackers making a ton of, me, a ton of money and, for the moment anyway, an in, uh, another inside linebacker who is a first-round draft pick. So, you know, the 3-4 almost has to happen this year. But I, I think it's a combination of the, the personnel moves and Greg Williams historically seeming to favor uh, a 4-3 defense. That's generally what he's run. So he's uh he's going to be running that three four this year. He's got I mean he's got the people to do it, but uh, he's also got the people if he wanted to run a, a four three, that would be very doable as well. So that covers uh that co- I mean there, there's really there's there's no need at this point to, to talk about uh, bless you on Austin because he's a guy who could spend the year on you know he can go from pup to IR he might not even see the field. Uh, he's not, you no. know, he's not going to be impacting anybody, not, not anytime soon anyway. So, you know, that's, that's another thing. That's another discussion for another day. But uh, one thing I did want to bring up because I was looking, you know, we've, we've talked about how, you know, even with all the moves the Jets have made, there are still a couple things they could do here and there to improve the roster, to give themselves a better shot to compete. And I took a look at some of the remaining free agents today. I'm going to throw some names at you, Alex. I named uh, four people, four players who could help the Jets, uh, you know, with, with the some of the holes they have and whether or not you would want to bring any of these guys on board. Uh, first was Mo Claiborne, who Mike McCagney has already been asked about and said, you know, that's not something that has been ruled out at this point. Stephen Wisniewski at, or John Sullivan, both veteran centers. Outside linebacker, uh, former first-round pick Shane Ray. Outside linebacker, former huge contract guy who struggled after that, Nick Perry. Uh, former Packer, former Bronco. Wisniewski's been with a few teams. The Jets have some needs. I don't, I'm don't. i not even saying bring Mo Claiborne back as a starter. Let him compete for the starting job. But if Daryl Roberts outplays him like he did last year, then it's Daryl Roberts' job in my mind. Um, but, but what are your thoughts there? I mean, the, mo, mo, unfortunately, most of the free agents on the market now, even the good ones, are guys that just don't fit. You're not going to get in Dominican Sue. A, his attitude. B, his position. Um, Ziggy Anza, you know, not really a fit in a 3-4. So of the guys that are out there that could help, those are some of the names I came up with. What do you uh, – are there any of those players you would want, Alex? And uh, if so, why or why not? Yeah, 
I, I think I posted a side-by-side picture of um, at, on Sunday after the draft. I said uh, waking yes, up I and feeling that. like one of these guys should be a Jet, and that was uh, uh, Sullivan and Sullivan uh, Wisniewski. Wisniewski. So these guys are vets. Um, they're a little bit, you know, long in the tooth, but you know, you like we like I mentioned before, having veteranship is very important on this team. Uh, we need this offensive line to gel and and step up from what we had last year. We want to keep Sam Darnold's jersey as clean as possible. We want to open up huge holes for Le'Veon Bell so that, you know, Juice can go do his thing when, you know, and I I, I am happy with what uh, Harrison did for our team when uh, Spencer Long was going through his injuries with his hand and, you know, he did a, a very, very formidable job, you know, coming in and being the next man up. But it, it just seems so similar to the Nick Mangold situation to where when he was getting hurt and he couldn't play and we moved in Wesley Johnson and then we decided, hey, what's the worst thing that can happen if we let Wesley Johnson uh, get the starting job, right? <laughs> and it really did not look very good at all, as we all know. And I'm just seeing, you know, very similar patterns um, from Mike McCagnan and in, in, in this way, and, and that's why we Jets fans, we have ghosts, you know, from our past that, that come to haunt future players. So, you know, I would feel more comfortable um, having somebody in there with a little bit more experience and, you know, in the event that it doesn't really work out, you know, again, we've got uh, KO as our new left guard, you know, maybe you bring in um, one of those free agents that we mentioned or perhaps they could play on the right, you know, right guard if, if things don't work out with Winters or he happens to have another, you know, core-related style injury and he's, you know, a lesser, um, you know, shell of himself. Um, but, you know, he, we, we know Winters is a tough guy and he'll fight through it, but that may not be the best thing for the team. So I would definitely give those guys a lot of consideration. I believe we're around $26 million left. And we only have six uh, draft picks to sign, so we're not spending a whole lot of money on these kids. Um, you know, most of it's going to go to Quinnen. So after that, you're going to have some money on the table. And where do you want to, you know, shore up this team? Do you want to shore up the offensive line? Uh, do you want to bring in a, a player on a one-year deal, show-me contract, Ziggy Ansa, so that when we're going with a 4-3 scheme, we have an optimal lineup on the field, um, you know, like Ray, that you had mentioned maybe Perry, you know, as a situational pass rusher or, you know, somebody to help out in the run game, you know, and, and Mo Claiborne. Um, I, I thought, I think it's really funny how prior to the draft, if you asked anybody on, on Twitter about them, they would rant, oh, he's terrible. Um, I want nothing to do with them. The penalties, this, that, the third. Well, if you look at the scheme that the Jets run, those guys were left out one-on-one coverage all game long. And if you notice, they began to lose their legs in the fourth quarter, and that's when you'd see the penalties and you'd see the big plates being let up because they're, what they were asked to do is extremely difficult to do. You know, every snap mirror somebody right off the line from being two, three yards off the line of scrimmage. And I really do like Mo Claiborne. I like what he brings. I think, you know, he, he's a good outside containment guy. Yes, he, he, should, he does need a little cleanup work. With, with his hands and grabbing jerseys. But now after the draft, and we didn't really address the, 
the cornerback position with a premium pick in the top three, four rounds and taking a flyer on a very similar scenario and like what we did with Jeremy Clark. We, we like the measurables. We like everything that's written about this guy, but can he keep himself healthy and, and produce and, and, and provide to this team and where we need him to? All remains to be seen. So at this point, if you, if you do have the money and we've been giving him, I think it was $6 million to start and $7 million, if you can get him back for another six or seven million on a one-year show-me deal, there's worse options to have, you know, than Mo Claiborne and, and Tremaine Johnson as your one-two with Daryl Roberts and the younger guys competing for those those four or five, you know, position spots. Yeah, Mo Claiborne. I've I've said before. I think that he gets a little too much heat um, because I don't, you know, and I've talked to people about this before, and I'm sure I've said it on the air. Uh, I hear people knock him because he gets, you know, he gets beat here, he gets beat there, and I, I just think to myself, like, have you not seen the rules in the NFL in 2018, 2019? Like, guys, you, you can't touch a guy. And quarterbacks all all across the league are setting records with passing numbers because playing playing DB has never been, been more difficult in the NFL. There are very few guys you can look at as a corner and say that guy's going to lock his guy down and we don't have to worry about a catch. Everybody gives up catches. Everybody. There is no Darrell Revis, you know, from back in the day. Like, I don't know what people expect from a corner, but I've seen people rip him and be like, oh, look, he gave up this catch and then he gave a big catch here. Right, right. It's it's called the NFL. It's called sometimes you're defending a guy who's, you know, seven inches taller than you and you're not allowed to do anything to stop him from going where he wants to go. Um, so I, I think some of the heat he takes is not justified by no means. Am I saying he's great, but I'd, I'd be fine to have him back as, as far as Shane Ray goes. He's a guy who I feel like, you know, and I said this in the article, if you went to the off season needing a pass rush and Shane Ray was your plan a, that would be a disaster because mm-hmm. he has not done nearly enough in this league. He, he's a guy who still, he, he, he's a kick the tires guy because you kind of wonder why the hell hasn't it worked out for him. Let's bring him in and see if we can get him right. And you have to be able to cut ties with him if he turns out that he's not any different than the guy he was in Denver when he's playing opposite Von Miller, who's getting all the attention, and he still can't get to the quarterback. So Shane Ray, as a plan A, absolutely not. As a free agent to come in and situationally pass rush, to give him a look, I don't see why not. And same goes for Nick Perry. I think that he's a guy who can, you know, he's been productive in the league. I think he'd be a good option. And but I think the you know the center has to be addressed. Harrison the the one caveat with Harrison that I will say that makes him a little bit different than the Wesley Johnson situation is that Harrison has far more experience as a starter, you know, the games that he started with the Colts than Johnson had. So you kind of you know what you have in Harrison, you know he's not great, but you know he's better than Wesley Johnson and you know that there's a I mean you know he'll be better than what Spencer Long was last year. And again, I know this is bottom of the barrel stuff, but you know, do you want the the twenty eighth best center in the league or the twenty second best center in the league? You know, twenty two is an optimum. You'd like to be, I mean, hell, you'd want to be number one, but you want to be top five or ten. But would you rather be twenty two or thirty two? And that's kind of where you'd probably slot Jonathan Harrison. Uh, and but but I, I get exactly what you mean, it, and that's exactly what happened with, with Wesley Johnson, and Wayne Hunter. We remember what happened with him. He came oh. in for a few games late in the year when Damian Woody got hurt. The team won some playoff games, and you thought, 
Oh, look, you, you can get by with Wayne Hunter. He's not a bad player. Yeah, bring him back. Yeah. Whew, how'd that turn out? I mean, yeah, geez. The guy, the guy he, uh, he was worse. played with roller skates on. <laughs> yeah, he was worse than any of the guys we mentioned. So, you know, these, these guys who play well for a handful of games, it can be deceiving. But we have seen Jonathan Harrison as a member of the Colts play at a decent level. Again, I'm not saying he was phenomenal. I recall I watched a little bit of him a couple of years ago when the Jets signed him. And I just came away thinking, all right, he's not terrible. He's not great spot starter. Uh, but that's you know what they've had the last few years at that position has been terrible. So if he could step in there and be not terrible, that would be fantastic. Um, that, that's where the bar is when you go from uh, when Wesley Johnson is your center for, for a year. So we'll see what they do with the position, though. It's, it's, I think it's going to be addressed in some way. I think, you know, I mean, the thing is they had Wisniewski in for a workout pre-draft. And I don't know, you know, sometimes they tell these guys, go home, we'll call you when the draft ends. If we don't, if things don't go the way we'd like them to, um, you may not be in need at that point. So we'll see how that unfolds. And uh, sorry about that. And, you know, we'll see how that unfolds. And it'll be, um, oh, before we go. Uh, only a couple seconds left here. Did wanted to let folks know we will be doing another show tomorrow night. Uh, we don't generally do back-to-back nights or multiple shows a week, but, you know, busy week with draft stuff and that. Uh, tomorrow night we're going to have Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News on. We're going to talk to him about the draft, about the Jets picks, and we're going to cover the uh, – we're going to get his thoughts on the, the Adam Gase, Mike McCagnan thing, which, again, we discussed it the other day. It could be something, could be nothing, but at the very least it is weird and worth talking about. So that's it for us tonight on Jet Nation Radio. Uh, I'm Glenn Naughton and Alex. Alex, go ahead and give out your Twitter. I'm uh, I'm Ace Fan at Ace Fan Twenty Three A C E F A N Twenty Three. Please leave us some reviews on iTunes. I uh, saw so we had a couple of new ones because I don't check that very often. I'm a dummy, but I uh, had a couple of new ones. One person criticizing the sound, which I I know exactly which show that was. The uh, the the high speed high tech tablet I use was out of commission for that night, and I had to go back to the old clunky laptop, and I'm sure that's why the sound suffered. Apologies for that. But go to iTunes, Jet Nation Radio, give us some reviews. Alex, give out your Twitter handle. Yes, and uh, thank you again, Randy Johnson, for coming on tonight and talking to us about Blake Cashman. Very cool to get the inside uh, scoop on, on one of our new players. And for Jet Nation, you can follow me at NYJetsLife24. That's at NYJetsLife24. Thanks a lot, Jet Nation. Have a good night. All right. And like I said earlier, join up. Go to the forums at JetNation.com. Log in, sign in, and, uh, and, and go at it with your fellow Jets fans. Love them, hate them, whatever it may be. Uh, good time to be had by all. Thank you so much, Jet Nation. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow Glenn on Twitter at AceFan23. And the show can be found at Jet Nation Radio. Until next time, go Jets!
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.